Shalom, everybody. This is Aliza Lemon Baranowski coming to you from Rockville, Maryland. Uh, excited to read, to read with you and learn with you a parak of Tanakh that is different in some pretty substantial ways from the prakim we've learned before. Um, as we've already learned, the first five prakim of Yeshayahu contain prophecies of doom and destruction that are going to happen to the people of B'nai Yisrael, of, of the tribe as, uh, in uh, Yehuda, in the kingdom of Yehuda. And Rav Joe referred to this in his first shiur as sort of the opinion section of the of the newspaper, that this is the Navi's analysis of what's going to happen. And this parak sort of seems to be primarily returning to a reporting of events, to a narrative that we haven't seen in a little while, as it gives the first of what are a few really majestic visions that appear in Nevi'im Achronim. And it's, it seems like a very different kind of vision than it came before. Um, so there's a first person narrator at the start of our parak, and it sets a very majestic scene. I beheld Hashem, our God, or my Lord, technically, sitting on a high and lofty throne, and the skirts of his robe filled the temple. Um, and then it describes that there are seraphim standing around him, and the seraphim had six wings, and they would use the wings for different purposes. And then we hear that the seraphim are talking or calling out, and this is actually we're very familiar with, Karazel Zeviamar Kadosh 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 Hashem Tzvakot. They call out, Holy, 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 uh, the Lord of Hosts. Um, we are familiar with this from our daily prayer. Um, and so that's very like, a very routine and sort of familiar verse in a very different parak for us. Um, the context is very not ordinary. There's then we just, it's described that the doorposts of the Bayit Hashem are shaking. The Bayit is filling with smoke. Right. The normal human reaction to this is terror. Um, and one thing that's really important to understand here is that this parak is generally understood as being the chronological first experience Yeshaya has with prophecy. Um, this assertion seems supported by the reference in the first line that I didn't read to you, is that this is happening in the year King Uzziah died, um, and the opening line of the book, it says that Yeshaya prophesied in the era of four kings, of whom Ye Uzziah was the first. Okay, so now that we've called the vision terrifying, right, Yeshaya is seeing sh a shaking Bayit Hashem with God on a throne, um, we are not surprised that Yeshaya is terrified. He has a spiritual terror. He says, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Um, and this terror, which is uh, definitely sounds like the first time he's having this kind of experience, um, sounds like someone who's not used to experiencing God, uh, was called by Professor James Kogel, previously of Harvard University, I think now he's at Bar Ilan University. In his book, The God of Old, he calls this a prophetic call narrative, the first prophecy a Navi experiences. And he says there's certain familiar motifs. The first is that the Navi is always approached by God first. Another uh, key motif is the initial refusal. Yeshaya says God sees God and doesn't jump at the chance to represent God. His, his first reaction is fear. And this motif is important, says Professor Kugel, since we don't want our prophets to seem motivated by self-promotion. Which other prophets have a prophetic call narrative that fits this criteria? 
Um, many of us will remember the book of Shmuel Aleph in Parak Gimel. Shmuel is called, fits some of the same criteria. Um, later on, uh, we can see that Yirmiyahu begins with uh, some of the same motifs. They, they're, they're not all exactly the same, and, and Professor Kugel in his book talks about the differences. But the number one best fit with even more similarities is the very first prophetic call narrative uh, in the in 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 Sefer Shmot, um, Moshe Rabbeinu's in Parak Gimel of Sefer Shmot, a burning bush entices Moshe to come to where God will speak to him, and Moshe actually initially is not eager to go and be God's prophet, right? Um, so we have God approaching Moshe. We have Moshe's initial refusal. He actually really argues with God multiple times. And there's fire in each story, right? Moshe sees a burning bush. Uh, Yeshaya is in a, a fiery a room with fiery angels filled with smoke. Um, and just as uh, Moshe has a concern, so does Yeshaya have a concern. And they're quite similar. Yeshaya calls himself Tamesvatayim. I am impure of lips, and Moshe calls himself kaved pevek vedla shon, heavy of speech and heavy of tongue, and that's in Parak Dalet of Shemot. And after Yeshaya says he has impure lips, what happens? A seraph, a fiery angel, flies over to him with a live coal from the altar and touches it to Yeshaya's lips and tells him, you have been purified of sin. Now, depending on where you went to preschool, you might remember a story about Moshe that sounds pretty similar. Uh, in the Midrash Rabbah, it tells a story of baby Moshe growing up in the palace, sitting on Paro's lap, and he reaches for a shiny gem. And Paro becomes very suspicious. Is this child only interested in riches, in what he can get out of me, Paro, rich man? Um, so they, Paro has his, you know, his, his advisors, and they devise a test for baby Moshe. And they say, let's take this child and let's put a bowl of jewels and a bowl of coals in front of him, and let's see what he reaches for. And if he reaches for the jewels, we will know that this child uh, is uh, greedy and we've got to get rid of him. Um, and if he reaches for the coals, then we will know that he's a pure-hearted child and you can keep him. Um, obviously, it's a sort of a silly uh, uh, construction because if jewels are shiny, any child would reach for them, right? And so the Midrash goes there and says, well, Moshe was going to reach for the bowl, baby Moshe, right? He's a, he's, a, he's a little child, reach for the bowl of jewels. And a Malach came and sort of moved his hand and pushed him to reach for the coals. And he picks up the coal and he touches it to his lips, and that creates the speech impediment. Uh, but it saves his life because then Paro believes that he can trust Moshe. Um, and this is from the Midrash, the Midrash and Shema Rabbah. And it is clear to the authors of the Midrash Rabbah that the stories of Yeshaya and Moshe are similar, right? And so that's why they write us this story that makes even more explicit the connection. The story in Yeshaya doesn't get read as much. And by writing it into Moshe's story, we can heighten the comparison, which makes us want to look very closely at the comparison between the two stories. And then we get such a disheartening contrast because Moshe is being called to save the people, and Yeshaya is being called to tell them that they will be banished, that they will be ravaged, that they will be laid to waste. Um, in the last few verses of the uh, chapter, we see very, very similar uh, themes and content to the first five chapters. Um, then he, say, he, he gets a prophecy, and it says, like, Hishamen lov ha'amazeva aznav hechaved, Right, like let's have them hear but not understand and see and not grasp. So we've got that same like 
parallel language and the the poetry from the early psukim and it's we have to say that that you know that all the bad things that are going to happen to them that hashem is going to banish them that there will be many deserted sites in the land and um that is a really sad contrast to moshe who has the opportunity to save the jews who now appear to have squandered the freedom that they had in the land the agency um, that they had in the land uh, the self-determination that they had in the land however the story has always in it uh, in, in many of the worst most negative prakim of tanakh there are drops seeds of consolation i use the word seed very deliberately yeshaya worries that he is impure and he is purified with a tap of coal to the lips um, Repentance is not as simple as a tap of coal, but it is a set of actions taken one at a time. Uh, and in it, um, the very last line of our, of our parak says, But while a tenth of it remains, it shall repent. So the Jews are going to be cut down to 10% of their former selves before they repent. And even though it'll be ravaged like a a terebinth tree and an oak tree, when the stump is left, there will be seeds in it. That no matter how bad the destruction is, there is always a zera kodesh. And so for us, when we look at any difficult situation in the world, in our lives, in our communities, in our society, we have to always look for um, the zera kodesh, not to in any way minimize the pain, the destruction, the difficulty that we have experienced. But at any point, we have to move forward. We have to take the next concrete action. And we do that by finding the Zera Kodesh, the, the, the uh, holy seed, and creating an opportunity for it to grow. Wishing everybody a wonderful day and a Shabbat Shalom.